Welcome to the Elevate podcast. This series focuses on elevating and inspiring women and girls into or to remain in the tech sector from the classroom to the boardroom. I'm Kelly Kwarteng, founder and CEO of Halzak and host of the show. Welcome today for another episode of Elevate Women in Tech podcast series. Today I'm thrilled to be speaking with Claire Padolka. Claire is Chief of Staff at TXI, a digital product innovation firm where she serves as a trusted advisor to senior executives and ensures that operations, communications and large scale initiatives are all moving in the same direction. She has worked in large enterprises and startups, product companies and consultancies. She lives in Chicago with her partner and two children. Thanks a lot for coming on to the show today, um, Claire. It's, it's great to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to delving into navigating parenthood whilst building a career in tech. Thanks, Kelly. It's great to be here today. So let's jump straight in. And to, um, if it's OK with you to kick things off, um, could you give us a bit of a brief background um, on yourself and the role that you do today at TXI? Yeah, um, my background is all over the place. I've worked as a journalist and a private detective and a textbook editor all before I moved into tech. Um, I really got into tech through the world of education. I started with editing and then project managing textbooks, like the big old school paper textbooks that you would have. Um, And through that, I got connected to an ed tech startup here in Chicago. Uh, I joined when they were seed stage. I was like employee number five or six, depending on who walked through the door first that morning. Um, And I helped them build the product from the ground up, um, doing some editing, some project management, um, hiring, people management, ops, like, you know how startups are. They, you just wear all the hats and I was wearing 12 or 15 hats, depending on the day. Um, And then when it was time for me to move on from there, I'd like fully gotten into the world of tech at that point. And so I found TXI, which is a company that I'm still with today, about seven years later. Um, I joined as first as a project manager there, an individual contributor. And it's just the kind of place where you can really be supported in growth. So I've moved through successive roles. I became the head of the project management practice, then the director of staffing, then the chief delivery officer. So it's a consultancy. I was accountable for all of our client delivery. Um, And as of this year, I became our chief of staff. Um, Chief of staff is a job that has a bunch of different interpretations. But at TXI, what it means is that I'm accountable for our overall operating rhythm, as well as facilitating our leadership team. I manage internal communication strategy. And I also uh, do the bucket of special projects, which is just anything that is not the core function of the business that needs to be handled, anything new that we want to pick up or that we want to explore or experiment with that becomes, that falls under my purview. Perfect. And, and what, um, what an eclectic journey that you've been on. I like that. A private investigator <laughs> to project manager to, to chief of staff and yeah, what, what a journey and I'm sure you've got many a stories we could just do a podcast on the stories for the different careers that you've had <laughs> and, and the journey that you've been on I'm sure um one of the topics that I'm really interested to dive in today and I mentioned it in the the introduction is around navigating parenthood um and building a career as a woman in the tech industry obviously you're a mother of two um I speak to a lot of women um that are thinking is it possible for me to be a mom and still have a career in tech or 
they've just gone off or in the process of going on to like maternity leave. And then it's like, how do I come back? What does that kind of look like? Um, I'm concerned, I'm worried. Am I going to have to leave the industry? So it would be good if you would be open to sharing, you know, when did you first become a mother on your journey? And um, what impact, if it did have an impact um, on your career, did did that have um, to date? Yeah, motherhood has impacted my career really significantly. I, I don't know anyone who is a mother and uh, is also moving along in a career where motherhood hasn't impacted them. Uh, it's very real. Um, I think the first way that motherhood impacted me was even when I was thinking about becoming a parent. Um, I mentioned that I was working for a startup and then it was time for me to move on. And the reason why it was time for me to move on is that my partner and I were planning to become parents. And besides the sort of ups and downs of a startup not being very conducive to, to parenthood, um, that company did not have a maternity leave policy and would not put one down on paper, uh, which is a little surprising because it was founded by women and the founder was a mother. Um, but just financially for them, they didn't see how they could make it work because that's down to an individual company to figure out, right? We're based in the U.S. and there is not um, like broad-based support for paid maternity leave policies here. And so they just said, oh, we'll, we'll work something out when it becomes necessary. Like if you get pregnant, we'll figure it out. Um, but that wasn't sufficient for me. I needed something that was very solid. And so I started looking for companies that already had published supportive leave policies for parents. Um, and it was interesting because when I came to TXI, they did have a leave policy, but it was um, partial pay for it was 12 weeks at partial pay. I can't remember exactly what. Um, and once I did get pregnant there, I was an individual contributor at the time, but I had sort of built a strong reputation already. And I decided I was just going to ask for more. I was like, what's the harm in asking? You know, this company is really starting to lead into DEI kinds of initiatives. And this is an inclusion issue, right? If you really care about hiring and retaining great female talent, many of those women will choose to become mothers at some point. And so we need these supportive leave policies in place. And so I just, I, I made that case. I went to our CEO and said, hey, um, I would like to be fully paid for those 12 weeks. Um, I recognize I'm speaking to someone in the UK where just 12 weeks fully paid is like still not even uh, close to, I think, what you all get. But in the US, that's actually like a very strong benefit for an employer to offer. And uh, to their credit, they agreed. They, they understood the argument uh, based on inclusion and based on um, wanting to retain great female talent. Um, and even more to their credit, about a year after I took my leave, there was a man at our company who was going to take paternity leave. And I think the benefit at that point was like two or four weeks for, for, for fathers. And he made the case, like, why does this need to be gendered? Don't all parents need this kind of support? And that's exactly right. I think it's a, a very true argument because we know that women and children benefit if they have male partners who also get equal leave, the more supportive it is for the whole family, right? And that there's actually great benefits to their careers and to the health of the family and all of that. And TXI listened to that as well. Um, and so now our policy is 12 weeks fully paid for parents of, of all genders. Um, no. So that was one of the big, uh, big ways that I was able to uh, sort of navigate motherhood was just literally through having a supportive leave policy in place. Brilliant. And I think that's such a, 
such an honourable thing for the company that you work for in terms of, you know, I know that TXI do a lot within the DNI space and you're so true. It is about inclusion and and it's great that they've recognised it from um, not just from a mother's perspective. I completely agree that um, shared parental leave is is so, so important. Um, so it's great to hear that they've done that for the men and um, and the women as well. Um, from your own personal experience, and I know you kind of spoke a little bit there but about challenges, but did you face any um, challenge, challenges outside of like the, the policy side of things um, when trying to navigate motherhood um, and a career in tech? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think there are, there are external challenges and internal challenges with, with navigating motherhood. Um, the external challenges, there's the policy piece, there's the logistical juggle right? Especially when you have two parents in the home who are both working demanding careers, or if you're talking about a single mother, um, that's, you know, that's not my personal experience, but I know from observing others, that's a huge challenge because the world is still mostly designed for this idea of a family where there are two parents and one of them, almost always the mother, right, is totally focused on the world of children and home and family and maintaining all of that. And the other one is totally focused on the world of working in an office, right, working a career. You know, if you think about the lack of universal childcare and early childhood education and not having great access to backup care, or even the fact that like schools have the summers off and all these random yeah. days off that... <laughs> somebody has to somebody has to cover and there's no universal support for that and so it winds up quite often falling to mothers like in my family that's often what happens and i have a, a partner who is very supportive and is very involved as a father but the fact is he doesn't have supportive policies in place to to help either so when the two of us are left with this it, it falls to me often and i think those kinds of external challenges of Literally, the logistics of trying to move in a world that isn't built to support two fully invested working parents who are invested in the work and parenthood. It just becomes down to the individual. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Being a mum of two as well, um, having been in a situation where, you know, it's that kind of Sunday night calendar kind of sit down and kind of juggle who's going to do what, who's going to go where, who's picking up who from what club, what school and, and everything else. It's It does become mm -hmm. really challenging. And I think one of the, the, the challenges that I felt, and I don't know if we'll, we'll come on to this probably a little bit later on, but then you kind of have that whole mum guilt piece that kind of creeps in on you that makes you feel like, well, I'm not there. Or as the children get older, I had this with my daughter especially, where it's like, well, so-and-so's mum's always here to pick me up from the playground or this person's always there and, they, and it's kind of getting them to understand those logistics those kind of external stereotypes and how as children you kind of navigate things as well and you know as a, as a mum it's okay to not be there every single day in the playground or at the whatever it might be that that you you might not be able to make um and then figuring out you know what is it that that's important to you so yeah i can i can relate to to those challenges that you mentioned there for for sure podcast but you also have an edit so you're going to go here henry's going to be downstairs like we just had to juggle through the whole day and even as i'm speaking to you i'm like speaking very confidently about navigating motherhood and your career 
And there is that voice in my head that's saying, what are you doing recording a podcast today? Your son is sick downstairs. Wouldn't a really great mom be downstairs? Why are you putting this first? And the answer is, this is okay. This is an okay choice that I am making right now. It's an okay choice for you not to be at that playground that day. Our children understand they see the totality of our lives with them, right? It's not about that one moment. It's not about that one choice. It's they understand that we love them. We understand that we are present, but not yeah. at every single moment and not uh, not with completely undivided attention. And that's just real. In my better days, I believe that that's like healthy. So they grow up not believing that they are the center of the universe and they understand <laughs> that everyone is navigating complex situations. And in my worst days, there's all of that guilt that you spoke about. I, I totally relate. Completely agree. And I think for me, it was harder with my daughter. So she kind of gets the mum guilt very um, much more easier than my son being the first child. Um, but mm. what I came to to learn quite quickly with her as she got a bit older and then when my, my son came along was what were my non-negotiables? And that's kind of what I kind of set myself out to be. What is it that I am 100%, I'm there, I'm present, I'm representing kind of the family, me, everything else. And what were the things that, you know what, it was okay. And then I used to feel so much better. And that mum girl used to kind of come down because I'd already set out in my head, it was part of my, it was okay, because it wasn't in the non-negotiables. So so yeah, I had a couple of different things as they were growing up that I would always be there for. Um, and yeah, that worked well for me with my own kind of well-being, mental health, you could call it, that that I started to feel okay to miss out on things and would pre-plan that in advance with the children, with the husband, with the grandparents or whoever it was to, to make that all work. So um, yeah, completely hear you there and completely agree. It's a real world and you know, both parents can't be there all of the time, um, especially when you're navigating careers and everything else. As you think back on your um, journey since becoming a parent, what are some of the things that you wish you had known um, back when maybe pre-kids um, or wish your employer had provided more support with whilst you were navigating this journey? The thing that I wish I had known and this is not something any anyone else can tell you or that anyone else can do for you. But something that I wish I had known was how hard um, those early days and the and the experience of actually being on leave what would be for me. Um, and it's a combination of things. I think uh, everybody uh, shows up at different phases of parenthood differently. And it turns out I uh, am not a great mom of babies great mom of little kids love this phase infants not my jam um and so that was really hard uh and to be experiencing just the sort of chaotic swirl of early early babyhood and early motherhood and have no anchor of work right my life has been pretty structured around work and those kinds of schedules and deadlines and interactions. And I'm really good at my job. I'm very confident in my work. I get a fair amount of praise and positive feedback and that kind of external ego validation. And an infant does none of that, right? Like I was brand new at motherhood. Uh, I was not good at it yet because I, I had just started, right? I was you know, four days into it or whatever. Um, 
and you know physically you're uh, i was in a lot of pain and you're doing the re physical recovery and you're not sleeping and there's no structure and there's none of that external ego validation you get from uh from work a baby doesn't provide that baby provides lots of other joyful things but like no ego validation whatsoever um and that was really, really hard, uh, especially with my, my first kid. With the second kid, I knew that that was going to happen to me. I knew that that had been my experience. And so I was prepared. I was like, oh, I need to call in some help. I need to call on my mom to come and help her. I need to ask some friends to come and show up and support me in that time because it, it is actually very, uh, I felt very rudderless. I felt very adrift in those early days. And I don't think anyone talks about that very much i think the experience that's shared usually is like oh it's this beautiful joyful special time of bonding and it is and you have no idea what time of day it is you don't remember the last time you showered or spoke to an adult or uh, was were alone for any like more than five seconds and i don't think people quite talk about how um, like mentally and emotionally challenging it can be to go through that period. Um, I was really excited to go back to work, actually, not because I didn't love my son, but because I missed the structure of, of work and what that provides, the scaffolding that that provided for, for my life. 100%. I, everything you're saying there is something I completely resonate. You can't, you can't pre prepare for something that you've never experienced people can give you some hints and tips and usually it's like you said that having a child is this joyous occasion and it is don't get me wrong like having your, your children it is joyous but becoming a mom for the first especially for the first time it's tough um, and when you yeah. come from such a structured maybe high pressured high profile role to then just being a mum of this baby that you don't really know what they want you don't know why they're crying or then you're on your own because you're, your partner's gone <laughs> yeah. back to work. And then it's just like, oh, my God, I'm all alone and I just don't know what to do. And, yeah, I can completely relate to those things. And I can also completely relate to the fact that we don't talk enough as mothers how challenging and hard, particularly those early days when really all the baby's going to do is eat, sleep, cry, eat, sleep, cry. And that's pretty much your life. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I'd agree. You have no idea what time of day it is. It's just a continuous loop of kind of <laughs> moving forward to that point where they become a little bit more kind of self-sufficient, so to speak, where they can, you know, go longer and things like that. Um, it's definitely a, a relatable experience from my my perspective as well. Um, so thanks for thanks for sharing and being so honest and and, and open with that. Um, because you're right, it is a a natural thing for people to feel and it's okay but reaching out getting that help I think is is, is also equally something people shouldn't be ashamed of um and also feeling like you're a bit lost or not enjoying that those that initial early part of um of motherhood if that's how others have felt as well um we spoke a little bit earlier about mom guilt and kind of the world whirlwind of emotions we just spoke about it there as well how it can be so joyous it's so loving and then on the other side it can be so lonely and so hard and and, and everything else and then you've got this whole point of mum guilt kind of coming back in especially when you first go back to work and you leave this child and 
you're like, oh my God, I've just spent all this time nurturing them and making sure they're okay. And um, we spoke a little bit, a bit about it earlier, but was there anything in particular that you did to cope with overcoming those over um, those challenging emotions at that time that maybe you could share for, for anyone listening in that might be just heading back to work after having their first child or their second child or child number five, whatever it may be, um, to just offer them <laughs> a bit of support and advice? Yeah, it, I mean, it's all about asking for help. And for me, I mean, I mentioned calling on family and calling on friends, but honestly, I therapy is huge. I mean, anyone with a mind and a heart should do therapy, in my opinion. But um, that was absolutely essential for me to just have a little bit of space every week that was for me and to to help me adjust and go through this transition. Um, was was really essential and after i came back uh with my my daughter my second child it was even more of a high pressure situation by that point i wasn't an individual contributor anymore i was uh on, in a c-level role and it was also in the depths of covid and i had my daughter and so when i went back i in addition to having a working with a therapist i also worked with an executive coach who was specifically focused on um, on mothers at an executive level. And she was incredibly supportive. Um, and one of the biggest things that I took from my work with her that I want to share with as many people as I possibly can is what uh, we started calling no hat time. So you think about wearing all the hats, right? You're wearing the hat of a mother and a partner. You're wearing the hat of a leader and a people manager and a strategist, whatever your role is, right? And you're always wearing multiple hats. Maybe you're wearing like four hats at once, maybe. Um, but having no hat time where you do not have responsibilities to anyone else, where you can just take off all your hats and just be a person. And even if you can carve out like five minutes here or there to do that, you need that time to restore yourself. You need that time to build back up the capacity that you've been giving to everybody else. And if you um, if you're able to protect that, I have ever since we had this conversation, I have fiercely protected, even if it's just a 10 minute walk at the end of my day, I need something where I am just Claire the human. Um, and that kind of helps bring me back up to, to level and uh, calm some of those feelings of overwhelm that are so common for mothers. Really like that. No hat time. I'm going to take that and yeah use it for for myself in in times when you just need to have that that step away moment in terms of things that you would do for your no hat time you mentioned there 10 minute walk so um you mentioned there no hat time and um that your no hat time was like a 10 minute walk was there any other things that you would do or you do now when you're doing no hat time to disconnect and just be clear uh, the most important things that i found is that i need to be away from screens um, I'm on screens all day long. I work uh, at a remote company where we live our lives via Zoom for the most part. And so I need to be away from a screen. So whether that's a walk, whether that's uh, a trip to the coffee shop with a book, um, I actually, I've been keeping books of poetry on my bedside table. So I'll just go down and even if I literally only have a couple of minutes, I'll just pick it up and read one poem. Like there's always time to read a poem. I can't necessarily get into a novel or a whole series of uh, essays, but one poem, there's always enough time for that. 
perfect so just having that break um and such great advice as well i think it's so important to to have that step away um obviously navigating parenthood um and a career in tech is a challenge face for for women but also for, for men as well um you know it is it is a challenge um parenthood for, for both genders but if we look at the the women in tech space um the technology industry as we know already has a significant gender gap um, with women only accounting for roughly what 26% of the workforce. Um, and a recent study found that 50% of women in tech are leaving their jobs before the age of 35. So that retention piece, when the numbers are already so low, is a huge thing that we need to, to think about. Um, and there's loads of studies and there's loads of insights. And there's a number of reasons why women are leaving in such high numbers. But obviously, navigating parenthood is a contributing contributing factor um, and one of the many issues that, that are causing this. In your um, opinion, what are some of the potential solutions from, um, from an employer perspective? Um, and if we was to think about policies um, that companies should be aware of, conscious of, to, to implement and um, to better support working parents, what would you say that those policies should look like? On the policy side of things, Paid parental leave, obviously, um, for parents of all genders, solid health care benefits. Um, and I'm starting to see some companies uh, thinking about specialized support for adoption and fertility treatments, which um, is an interesting area to lean into, just providing more support for people who are choosing different ways to become parents at different times in their lives, I think is really helpful. Um, I've heard of some companies subsidizing um, childcare and backup care. And the backup care piece is uh, really important because, as we know, having now gone through COVID, everyone is just much more conscious of keeping kids home when they're sick and um, making sure that, you know, there's someone who can provide care for the kid when they're sick or they have been sick and the parents both need, need to be working. Um, so I think that's, uh, those are the policy pieces that come to mind for me. Um, equitable pay is so important as well, uh, just for having women in the workplace and stay in the workplace overall, uh, being able to make sure that you're being paid fairly for your work, particularly as you move along in your career. We know that wage gap can widen over time. So publishing pay bans and making sure your pay is equitable within them. Okay. That's on the policy side of things. I think the other piece that I'm interested in seeing more of, and this is a result of policies to some extent, is just straight up representation. Like if I had not seen a mother sit on her C-suite before me, I might not have felt that that was possible. But she was there and she was a huge advocate for me and a mentor to me. Um, she provided me with practical advice, uh, like literally helped me project manage some of my like pregnancy and leave and all of that in, in incredibly helpful ways. But more than anything, like she was there and she showed me it was possible. She had two children. And as I was pregnant with my first and thinking about where my career would go, I was like, oh, this is possible for me. I'm not cut off from this opportunity because I can see that you can be an executive and a mother and having these real world examples is so important because if you don't if you you know they always say like if you can't see it you can't be it and i think having more women in leadership and more mothers specifically in leadership 
makes it possible for more people to then step into those roles. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think there's some fantastic recommendations in there that you um, that you spoke about. And obviously, the US landscape to the UK is a little bit different. And I know there's listeners that we have that are kind of all around the globe. Um, so obviously, some of these points will be more relevant for, for the US audience. Um, based on some of those rec- recommendations and thinking about the US side of things um, for this next question, on a broader scale, what policy changes do you think we need to see that become more of a statewide or national level must have for companies um, to really support women? Because obviously, like you mentioned, you was in a startup. It just wasn't feasible for them to be able to offer some of the policies that were there. So it was that kind of we'll look after you. Don't worry about it. But obviously, as a mum, you want that security. It's a big step anyway to then get into that and then potentially not have, become a mother and not have that support is huge. And then trying to find a new job or whatever it may be, or left in that situation where there's just nothing is, it's a huge challenge on top of being a mother as well. So yeah, what do you think, or what would you like to see if you could make, wave a magic wand that would become statewide or national level policy within the US? I really appreciate you asking this because Issues of motherhood in the workplace are so often framed as like down to the individual woman or the family or individual employers. And I really believe this needs systemic solutions in order to change how mothers can show up at work. Um, in the U.S., we've had federally subsidized childcare in the past. During World War II, when a lot of men went off to, to join the military and to fight overseas, Women needed to come and work in factories. And so there was federally subsidized childcare that was provided for those women's children. And immediately after the government didn't need it anymore, government didn't need women to work because the war was over and the men had come home, they rescinded that support. So it is possible to get federally subsidized childcare, to get federally subsidized paid parental leave for all parents, not just birthing parents. These things are possible if there is political will to do so. We're an incredibly wealthy nation. We can provide this support. But there's just continued pushing that responsibility back on families, which really means back on women. And we know that this hits uh, women inequitably as well. Like if you are upper class or middle class, you have better access to some of uh, the kinds of care and you have better resources available to you than if you're working class or poor. If you're a white woman, you probably have better access than if you're a woman of color. And so we know that this access is inequitable and we know that inequity has real world results in women when they become mothers, leaving the workforce not by choice. Um, And so putting state level and really in the U.S. federal policies behind, yes, we would like women to have these options, that if they want to stay in the workforce, that they can because the support is there, Um, that universal child care and paid parental leave has to be a national policy in order to make that happen. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's, you know, if we look at it from an equity piece, I think it's a a key part to to really kind of put that, that on the map and who knows, maybe in the future, hopefully not too distant future, it's something that could be looked at, considered, um, debated, and hopefully brought in to, to see change and support females within the workplace. Um, 
On that note, though, obviously, where it's not a federal um, kind of policy and a, a federal kind of law that, that it has to be there. I'm sure there's many women that are listening in um, where they are potentially the only woman or one of a very few women on their team, maybe the first woman in their company, their team to go away and have a child. Um, and those family friendly parent policies are just not there and they just don't exist yet for whatever reason. For those women, because I know that you've been in this situation, you've explained a little bit when you went to, to TXI about enhancing what they already had. What advice would you give to anyone um, in approaching leadership to start a dialogue around implementing potentially some of the changes of policy or um, reviews of current policies that exist? Because it can be quite a daunting experience to, to do. So, yeah, what, what advice would you give from is he doing it yourself and yeah how, how they should approach it yeah i am conflicted about this because the the smart advice right is to say be very data driven right cite the statistics that you've named here about women leaving tech and how more diverse teams lead to better business results right the mckinsey study from uh, several years ago that everyone cites in support of dei initiatives um, tie everything back to business value. And here's the metrics, the company policies that are supportive of mothers or parents result in better business results. But what I want to say is at least business value out of it entirely and make a purely emotional case because navigating motherhood in the workplace is highly emotional. And that's true of all DEI initiatives, right? If you are stripping the humanity out of it and you're only making it about business results, that's ignoring the fact that we should care about people because they're humans, right? The best reason to make employment more accessible to mothers or disabled people or black people or queer people or name whatever facet of humanity, it's because they're people. And people deserve equitable access to opportunities. Um, that argument is not easy to make, right? It can get you branded as like, you know, the overly emotional woman that's just playing into that. And many people who are already in power want to hear the things that are aligned with their incentives, right? The business results. So that's the smart way to go is to talk about those business results. But I wish you could just say, you should support better policies for mothers because mothers are people and people deserve a fair opportunity. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, yes, the business case is probably what the founders or the senior execs are probably going to listen more to. But policy and having fair and equitable companies and, and that ability to be fully inclusive should just be done because it's just the right thing to do. Um, and I think the more of that sort of thought process and approach, um, the better the working world would be, the more inclusive teams that we will build and therefore more innovative and inclusive products and everything else on the, on the, the back end of that, which ultimately would then bring you back to reduced uh, retention rates of employees and your workforce and probably a better bottom line further down the line. So being able mm -hmm. to see it from that zoomed out kind of focus. But yeah, it's hard sometimes when you're having to sit there and make decisions and, and everything else. So thank you for, for sharing that um, that advice. Um, zooming out beyond the motherhood um, aspect of things, 
What changes do you think still need to happen industry-wide to pr to promote more inclusion and growth opportunities for women in tech in general? So not just about the motherhood piece, but obviously looking for us to try and impact that 26% of women in, in tech. Definitely the move toward remote work, I think, has been really positive because even if women are not mothers, they do tend to have more caregiving types of responsibilities. And I think that people in general want to be able to have a better blend and balance in their life. And so the move toward remote work, I think, is really helpful for women to be able to have the life that they want, whether or not that includes children, um, whether or not that includes a partner, um, and still have a career that they can feel really good about. Um, I think in addition to that, there are aspects of remote work that tend to help people feel more um, safe. So yeah. we know that women sometimes experience harassment in the workplace um, and to have physical distance sometimes and the ability to turn off a screen can be very helpful and supportive for women as they move through their careers just to literally feel safer. Um, in <clears throat> Coming back to your experience um, in the different companies that you've been in and Obviously, I'm sure you speak to many people. I know you're part of a, a chief of staff network. So obviously, you have a lot of people from, from different organizations that you're linked to. Um, you don't have to put any names of companies on this. But what are some of the best and some of the worst workplace initiatives that you've seen and heard of um, to try and help promote diversity um, within the, the, the workplace, within tech? The worst is anything that's purely performative. Right. Like the, the classic example we see every June is brands just turning their logos rainbow colored and saying, like, job well done. We support queer people. And then, and, you know, July 1st comes and they turn it off again and that's it. Um, obviously, that's just surface. That's, that's uh, not meaningful. And the best is the, is the opposite of that. It's really putting your money where your mouth is. It is investing in things like building relationships with communities of historically excluded groups. You know, at TXI, we specifically build relationships with women in tech groups. Um, we try to build relationships with, uh, you know, black engineers or with, you know, sort of pick, pick your flavor of, um, of like specific niche group, but we want to build real relationships with, those communities not just show up one day and say like oh we just realized that we don't have any latina people working here so we better go and like find one real fast that's that's just this false inauthentic way of, of showing up versus building deeper relationships over time so that you as an employer have a strong reputation yeah. and you truly understand what folks are interested in what kinds of benefits they want what kinds of working arrangements they want uh really meeting people where they are in terms of uh like building community with with people um <clears throat> that that's essential to uh to promoting more diversity is you have to like be authentic about it um and i think the other piece that we're seeing more of in the us these days is publishing salary bans that goes a huge way to ensuring that there is equitable pay. And equitable pay tends to 
I would think, correlate with like equitable treatment. It's not one-to-one by any means, but by saying, here is what we will pay you, and it'll be the same regardless of who you are if you're doing the same job. That's just so fundamental to saying we respect all people, we include all people, we treat everybody equitably, um, that I, I don't understand why everyone can't do that. I mean, I do understand why everyone can't do it. It's because they're not paying people equitably, yes. but they should. <laughs> so they should publish real meaningful salary bans, and that will go a long way to um, demonstrating right from that very early candidate experience that, yes, we are committed to equity within our company. Um, and in terms of the, the, the work, obviously, we've had a lot of change over the last couple of years probably expedited i i think in a good way the whole remote work piece it's becoming more um more common now for, for many companies and many companies are com- comfortable with that brought on via by covid um what changes do you foresee in the workplace if, over the next 12 months that are going to be kind of big changes and and things that are going to make make a, a positive change for for us um yeah moving forward in the next 12 months I hope that we are done with this whole ridiculous demand for RTO. That sort of what you spoke with is like, there's so many possibilities within remote work. The idea that so many companies are making proclamations effectively, Mm -hmm. that you have to be in a specific seat, in a specific room, in a specific city every single day, um, or that you literally have to move. I'm sorry, you need to uproot your entire family, sell your home, buy a new one and and completely change your lives. I don't care what your partner does. Like, sorry, their their job is now upended as well. With no regard for what people actually need to do their jobs effectively and live their lives well, makes no sense to me. I don't think in the next 12 months we're going to see any kind of consensus around how hybrid or remote work should be done. I think that's the work of a generation, right? Because that'll always be evolving with the needs, with the technology. Um, I I think that that's a very long-term issue, but this idea of demanding a return to office, if we're still seeing that 12 months from now, I don't know what the leaders of those companies are thinking, other than like we literally don't care about the work that's being done or our employees whatsoever. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. I think the the return to office piece is just it's a concern and I, I can I can hear why some and, and kind of understand why some of these big corps that are doing it. Obviously they've got these huge buildings and they're costing them an absolute fortune. But in the long run I think it's just gonna be an absolute from a, a work culture perspective. And I think um, more and more employees over the next 12 months, if that is something that's mandated and demanded of a company, I think what we'll start to see is, and we already are seeing that, people making those decisions and and moving on to to organisations that can support that more inclusive, that that work-life balance that, that people need, because you're right, you don't need to be present to turn up and do a good job. You can do it from pretty much anywhere in the world as long as you've got an internet connection and a laptop and a power supply. And I think, yeah, off you go, you, you can get things done. So I couldn't agree more. Um, we're at the end now. So as we wrap up, um, if you um, had to leave our listeners with one key piece of advice on navigating motherhood or being a woman in tech, what would that be? It is so important 
it's been so important for me, I should say, to be in community with other women and especially other mothers. Um, having other people who really get it is just so validating and supportive in those tough moments. And the tough moments come more often than any of us want to admit. Um, but having other women and mothers in my own workplace that I find time with, um, even if it's just a, a quick Slack message or, or a coffee <laughs> once in a while, um, having uh, other mothers in my, my group of friends who are also navigating this careful balance, all in different careers, many of them not in tech, but still you see the same kinds of themes coming up around all of the juggling and all of the logistics and the, and the policies that are, that are challenging and, and the guilt and all of those things we spoke to. Having a community around you, even if it's just a couple of other people who can be supportive and then you can give that support back to them. Um, none of this excuses, you know, people who aren't women or aren't parents from making the changes that are necessary. I'm not saying that women need to own all those changes, but as you're going through those challenging experiences, having other people who are in a similar situation to you is just invaluable. Um, I've really enjoyed conversating with you today and going over what is such an important topic. And, and I'm sure this episode will help so many of our viewers listening in um, and, and everything else. So thank you for your time today, Claire. Um, it's been wonderful having you on the show, sharing personal insights, personal thoughts around kind of things as well. Um, and for any of our listeners that are intrigued about what they've heard today um, and if they wanted to connect with you on LinkedIn and ask you any questions would that be something that you would be be comfortable with as well absolutely yeah definitely look me up on LinkedIn um, probably share all that info in the show notes um, I would love to connect and talk more about this Perfect. No worries. And thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Elevate Women in Tech. Don't forget to subscribe for more insightful conversations with trailblazers in the tech industry. And also feel free to, um, to join our Slack community group um, if that's something where you're looking to find that community and find that tribe of like, um, like likewise and, and, and women similar to yourself. So thank you for, for joining today. Yeah.